Welcome to a special interview with Dr. Debbie Silver. This was recorded live at the NMSA conference 2008. The audio quality is not up to our usual standards and we apologize for that, but I think the content is such that it's worth a listen. Enjoy. Welcome, Dr. Silver. Oh, hi. My, my joy. Um, we're going to get right into it. Um, Sean is with us and we actually have a live audience. Yay! <laughs> okay, this year you're presenting on practicing safe stress Stress Management for Educators, and Lion Taming 101, Classroom Management for middle le- for the Middle Level. Right, and Student Motivation. And Student want- Motivation. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to come, how did you come on deciding on these presentations? What led you to start with these? Well, actually, the Student Motivation was the one that I led off with uh, for a pre-con, and that's my new passion. Um, we're all talking about differentiated instruction. We're all talking about RTI, and, you know, I think we missed a step in there. And the student motivation piece goes back to Bandura, self-efficacy, having kids build a belief system and a support system where it's not just raising the standards like we've done without giving them any way to get there, which is ludicrous. So it's back to what teachers were taught, you know, but talking about Vygotsky, loan of proximal development, and how do we teach those kids that their effort really does make a difference. And I, I, I just have such a passion about this because what I'm finding is a lot of students that have this sense of um, entitlement or this sense of I'll try once if it doesn't work, well, she, you know, that wasn't meant to be. And I really don't think we're modeling good practices for kids about incremental steps. And I think we're doing way too much of this good job, good job for things that really are pretty minimal and that we need to just keep raising the bar, especially for those kids at the ends, at the highest, highest end, and then the very struggling learners. So that's kind of my new thing. I'm going back and looping and picking that up. But the other two, the stress management for teachers is just because I am a teacher and have been one since uh, 1970. Um, I started when I was five years old audience. And uh, <laughs> just for clarification. But, um, you know, that's one I have a lot of fun with. It has a lot of realistic things. I even do some self-disclosure things to let especially the younger teachers know they're not the only ones. And uh, it's not about getting rid of all stress because then you'd be like dead. But it is about, um, you know, how to handle that day-to-day little niggly things that interfere with your emotional well-being, your spiritual well-being, your interpersonal communication skills. And, you know, it's a lot of laughter. The whole thing is mainly it's rooted, grounded in humor because I do think humor is just so important for our level. And I think No Child Left Behind has kind of sucked the joy out of teaching. <laughs> so I'm all about, all right, how do we fit within the parameters, the standards, the guidelines? But we're teachers. We need to take our power back. We need to bring the joy back. And I always, you know, encourage a playfulness among staff because y'all, let's face it, middle school teachers, we're a little different. And, uh, and that's why most of us love this. And I, I, in a lot of schools, I've seen the loss of 
the playfulness. It's okay for us to have our inside jokes and all. The kids, you know, but I'm talking about good-spirited. Not mean-spirited, but good-spirited. But the kids enjoy that. They enjoy watching our inner relationships. They enjoy us enjoying each other. So it has some very practical things. And I get most, I'd say most of my emails that come back to me later from my website are from that particular workshop. So um, that one's a joy for me to do, and I always love that one. And the classroom management is just such a perennial, you know, favorite, uh, particularly among struggling learners. And we kind of build that one as really good for new teachers or teachers who need to be renewed. <laughs> and it also is it's grounded in a lot of uh, humor. But I do some modeling, and I have people take on the roles of students, which is a great thing for teachers to do, you know, because it really puts you back in that mindset. And um, and I'll be the role of the cantankerous antithetical teacher to everything good and there are people like oh and i'm going tell me you've never done that and then or tell me you've never seen that but it's it's i hate it it's only an hour and you know to me classroom management is not just about the rules and the consequences and the procedures and the routines classroom management is everything and so you know that could really be a whole day presentation but you know from the time you walk in a room and i'm looking at what they have on the walls how the students are placed where the teacher stands you know everything homework policies that's management it's all management so those are three that just it's terrific, and I do have to say one of the, pr- the presenta- last presentations I went to with you, there were some things that you said that hit a little close to home, and oh. I thought, oh, God, I did do that at one point. Was I? that the classroom so, management one? Um, it was um, – I don't think it was the, I don't know if it was the classroom management. It was the one where he, um, you had talked about Lev Vygotsky. Lev Vygotsky. It was probably, that was probably going outside the lines. That was probably been. the one. Yeah. Um, yeah, going back to reaching those kids who, um, you know, that we just write these kids off because mm-hmm. they sit there and they look like a deer in headlights. And, and I don't think we do that because it's like we're, we're trying to be mean. I think so many times teachers look at a kid, they look shocked. So it's like, okay, does anyone about want to help test out Vince? <laughs> and yet when it's Vince, I'm going, oh, and Vince goes, I don't really know. Oh, Vince, yeah, you do. Come on. Remember we talked about flow. We talked about the zone. And sit there and cue that kid until he finally goes, Oh, yeah, I remember. And then you're going, I knew you could. Tess, what would you like to say about that? And she pauses. And then I've seen teachers do this. Okay, who wants to help Tess out? And I'm going, what if we just told everybody in that classroom? Who do I think is smarter? Mm-hmm. And what have I just told Tess? And Tess may be that that introspective kid that doesn't, you know, just that that introverted kid that really has to process. That, and I have a stepson like that that really has to think it through. And I would ask him, I'd say, Andy, did, did you know during the review? And he'd scrunch his little face up. He'd go, you know, Deb, I don't really know if I knew. Because while I was thinking about it, all the kids were yelling at the answers. And I think I knew, but I didn't have a chance to know if I knew. So that, that started me on a new policy. I don't let kids, and I'm talking about college kids, I don't let them raise their hands. I use the old elementary thing where you've got the kids on, uh, the names on tongue depressors, and you used to shake the, the bucket, and I pull it out because I want everybody to be responsible. So I go, everybody, I want you to really think about this. And let me ask this question. And then I've really had to make myself do the wait time because I'm so type A. And that is so hard for me. And I usually get one of my little, you know, my little students that love, that's very concrete sequential. Sometimes I used to give them a timer. And they would have the power of two to nine seconds to tell me when I could call on somebody. Yeah, I think after your presentation, my t- my staff got tired of me talking to them about think time. Think time. 
and wait time. <laughs> giving but, you know, guys, time. it's absolutely essential. And for me to say it, because I'm not a think time person, I'm like, shoot from the hip. But I realize how many kids out there, they never get a chance to think. Because we're just gone. We're off. You know, we go off and leave them. Um, you have a, a wonderful book entitled Drumming to the Beat of a Different Marcher. Yeah. Um, which uh, I love the title because I have to carefully read the title. Everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> finding the Rhythm for Teaching in a Differentiated Classroom. Um, what led you to write that book? That was a book that was just kind of in my heart. And I think bottom line, the workshops that I did were all based around some of these central themes, classroom management, parental involvement, multiple intelligences, uh, emotional literacy. And um, Incentive Press had talked to me about, you know, what I, what I just put my thoughts on paper. And I have kind of an inertia problem. Um, it's really hard for me to get started. <laughs> but then once I get going, it's really hard for me to stop. But I could not write the book while I was teaching. And all the teachers that are listening know what that's about. Because anytime I was on a plane or I had downtime, I'm thinking, I need to be doing something for my students. You know, I need to be writing in their journals or I need to be planning to reach kids. But when I finally retired after 30 years, I thought, okay, now's the time. Excuses are off. And I pulled up my computer and I just started writing and pulled some things I'd done in the classroom. And it just, it just, it really fell together very quickly. But you know what really the impetus for it, impetus was, um, getting the title and I was just driving down the road one day and I love the Thoreau you know marching to the beat of a different drummer however measured however far away and all of a sudden I just kind of flipped that because all my life people would say to me did you really march to the beat of a different drummer and I always used to think as a kid why did they say that like it's a bad thing <laughs> and then I realized all the way through school I really did march to a different beat and I really was um I, I won't say made to feel, but I guess I chose to feel. I, I felt out of step with everybody, and I really didn't know why. And I had teachers that literally told me I wasn't very smart because I couldn't do it the way they did. I have a reading disability. And so um, finally I realized I just came in other doors. And when I was teaching kids, I noticed a lot of them figure it out, and then, but I could help them figure it out. And then I thought, we need to get this on paper because I think most teachers will do this. They need to be validated for it. And if I do a workshop and I don't do anything but validate those middle school teachers out there like us who go, oh, thank God, I'm not the only one, you know, then I think I've done something really good. And I hear that from teachers going, I think just what you do. I just didn't tell anybody. I'm going, it's okay. Hi, I'm Debbie. You know, it's okay. But they have actually changed the title now. Um, in the revision, um, Peter Reynolds, who is my illustrator, and a lot of you guys know him. He's Fable Vision. He's written um, Ish, the Star. Um, oh, okay. oh, he is uh, the North Star. Peter's just awesome. Peter actually suggested drumming to the beat of different marchers, um, finding the rhythm for differentiating learning. So that was his idea. So we kind of switched okay. the title on the second edition. So you can find it either way, but the second edition is the one I would highly recommend it's it's been updated edited it has um review questions for teachers who want to use it as a discussion guide and my smart editor has it so it lays flat on a xerox machine he said for 120 <laughs> every single sheet comes out exactly eight and a half by 11 wow. <laughs> very teacher friendly very, that's, and that's very very much appreciated and, and we would recommend to uh to the audience to check out 
the book, which uh, you can pick up from Incentive Publications, and I think they can also check out your website. Yeah, and National Middle School carries it, um, and you can also find it with Barnes & Noble, um, I think Books A Million, and you may have to order it. I'm not sure they keep it in stock, but just, you know, Google it. You can find it, but if you're a member of National Middle School Association, you get a discount, so you might want to come through their bookstore and get it that way. Okay, and we'll put a link on the website to it oh, cool. as well, so um, get that on there. Um, do you have any other books in the work? I do. Works? I'm writing a book right now about um, what we say to students and maybe what would be a better choice of words because words really, really, really are important. And I've done a lot of research on it, and it's kind of my passion. And I want to write it for both teachers and parents. And without getting, I don't know, maybe two books because I may do one based on a lot of theory. But what I'd love is a very practical guide to say this instead of this. And here's why. Here's the research behind it. And a lot of it is things that we've been told by Alfie Kahn and Carol Dweck and other people who said, you know, don't say, I'm proud of you. And I always had a problem with that as a parent because I thought, well, that was a good thing. But, you know, the research is saying what that's really reinforcing is that's your job is to please me as the parent, as the adult advocate. And there's some very subtle nuances there. But, you know, when you really start examining it, it's so much better to say to a kid, um, instead of saying, you're so smart, oh, you are just the best, to say, wow, you really put your heart and soul in that. Or your effort really shows. And y'all are kind of getting where I'm going there. We're always reinforcing. And guys, I've gone back and even Heim Gannott that wrote The Teacher, you know, that, um, you know, the, the teacher's influence is the single most um, d- uh, decisive element in the classroom, and we all know that. Well, he goes on to say that praise for students uh, that is a very specific to them character is not a good thing. And Alfred Binet, who, you know, we did Stanford Binet originally, that was not that was not supposed to be this uh, tracking device that we use it for now. He actually was striving to find a better way to reach those kids who were non-linguistic, who were not the reader-smart kids. And then they took his work and essentially bastardized it into a screening element for saying these kids have IQ, these kids don't have IQ. And you go back and read his work, and what he was saying is we don't want to look at just a single artifact. We don't want to look at a single indicator. But he believes that intelligence is something that can be grown, that it can be molded, that it can be changed. And yet what have we done? We've taken his work and go, you're smart, you're not, you're a red bird, you're a buzzard. And, you know, these kids (laughs) self-label. And, you know, I'm just... Um, and I also want to talk, go back to the Rosenthal self-fulfilling prophecy. I know a lot of teachers, you know, in my generation, we talked a lot about him. But a lot of the younger teachers, I'm going, are y'all aware of, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy and some of the research? And they're like, who? <laughs> and I'm going, all right, let's let's back that up. But you know, it's literally, I believe that kids will will live up to your expectations. I also think they'll live down to them. They will live right down to your expectations. And that's where I think we're missing the boat. Because you guys hear this in, in the teacher's lounge. I know none of our listeners. But the teacher goes, well, why bother? You know, literally, why bother? Kids, you know, the kid's a moron. And I just want to strangle them. Because every kid can do something. Every kid. 
A- absolutely. And I can do something. Yeah, we, and we've talked about on previous shows the way that kids will behave differently for different teachers. Oh, yeah. Okay. There was a, I did a qualitative research study one time. I followed high school kids around at Ruston High School in Ruston, Louisiana. And um, I got to observe some kids in different kinds of situations. And there was this one kid that was literally just evil. <laughs> and this, she, he was making this teacher's life hell. And, I mean, smart mouth. She'd say, well, why don't you sit down? And he'd say, as opposed to sitting up. And she's like, shut up. And he was really a little devil. Of course, I've always loved those kids. But we got in this team release room, who was the student I was actually observing. This kid is totally involved, contributing. I tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, so, I won't say his name, kid. I said, I couldn't help but notice, because I've been with you the last three hours. And I said, um, your behavior in this room is so much different than your behavior in your other classes. Why is that? And he looked at me like, how could you even ask that? He said, because she's Miss Lee. And that was the name of my research, because she's Miss Lee. And then I went through and talked about how this high school teacher literally just, you know, she was very new. Very, she just was one. She was one of those magical teachers who knew how to engage kids and keep the expectations high. But this is a teacher who had no classroom rules. Her rules basically were understated, uh, just infer, be responsible, be respectful. And I, I don't know how she did it. She just did it. And a kid would, like, be goofing around, falling off the lab table and uh, our lab chair. And where the teachers are like, well, that's a consequence, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Tamara would just put her little hand on her hip and just look at him with this look like, have you lost it, man? <laughs> and, you know, he's just looking at her like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, I mean, it's not angry. It's not mean. It's just, just like, I can't believe you would do that. And it was just this expectation thing. And the kid would be back on the seat and back engaged. And the other kids are oblivious to what was going on. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's so cool. So, essentially, she wasn't a Harry Wong convert? No, she was not. No, nor Lee Cantor. No, no. I want to take uh, things just a, a little different track. Uh, looking through your drawing uh, to the beat of a different marcher, um, so much of it shows differentiation, shows multiple intelligences all the way through the book that the reader is immersed in it. Right. And and one of the ways you do is with poetry. Yeah. And, and it, uh, my question was, or is, uh, is poetry a reflective thing for you? How yes. much poetry do you do? Could, could I get you to talk a little bit about the uh, poetry? Yeah, nobody's ever asked me that before. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I've always been a poet. I mean, I can write a poem like in three seconds. That's kind of my gift, which is funny because I'm not a good reader. But... Um, that was always my little pressure release. I'd write these sarcastic poems, most of which I cannot share with your listening audience. But, you know, it was a great stress reliever for me. And But, you know, poetry can get the point across. Actually, more what I do now is when I'm writing with Monty Selby, um, who is, if our audience doesn't know, one of the most incredible songwriters, speakers of our time, recovering middle school teacher, recovering middle school principal. And um, Monty's and actually my co-writer on Because You Teach in Middle School Matters it, with others. Rick Warmley and Kathy Hunt and Randy Thompson. But um, now most of it is directed to song lyrics. And Monty was telling me, you know, a lot of poets have a hard transition because songwriting is very different than poetry. Because the poetry might be in that Helen Steiner rise, which I'm kind of was that way, kind of very meter oriented. But Monty's taught me really how to say it with, you know, a different approach. But what I found is 
you know, everybody's got their stories and the way they present. And my strength, I think, is humor and stories. And I used to use a lot of poetry more. But now what I do, because our, our audiences are younger teachers, they're a lot more visual, they're a lot more tech-savvy. So a lot of times now where I used to would have put a poem up, I'll put a Monty Selby song up, and I'll, I'll show them the lyrics because a lot of people are not auditory. You know, they need to see it. And then I've brought in pictures that kind of just, you know, illustrate what's going on there. And those have been so powerful. That's kind of, I've substituted that. But it's the same thing. It's like trying to appeal at a different part of the psyche. And, you know, I do see a lot of times, especially when I'm in the secondary high school, and I'll say, I want to play y'all a song, and I get the eye roll. Oh, here we go. But there'll be a few. And But if you're going to teach differentiation, and this is what we were talking about earlier, Sean, you know, if I'm in with, working with a school all day, I can't stand there and lecture all day about how to differentiate. You know, I've got to model it. And that's what the book is about. You know, it's not like these are the steps. This is compacting. This is tiered assignments. It's more like, guys, you're already doing so much of this. And teachers are. I think the teachers have always done this. You know, it's just... How can we be a little more purposeful, a little more intentional? How can we make sure we don't leave anybody out? And in, in the book, I try to make sure I'm not just talking about the extremes. Guys, the kids that scare me are the kids that just don't make any waves. You know, they're not really, really antagonistic. They're not really superstars, students, you know, shiny. They're just, they just slip through the cracks, so to speak. And that scares me. So I talk a lot about them. Have you ever considered a, a book of poetry? I have. I have. And uh, every time I get to write one, another teacher will write one and say, Dad, will you write the intro for me? <laughs> so, um, you know, and I read like what Dave Puckett writes. And I know y'all know Dave from Kentucky. And he's a trustee now with NMSA. And I, you should never compare yourself with somebody else. But Dave's is just so soul-wrenching. You know, I read his stuff and I'm thinking, oh, you know, mine's just not that worthy. But, um you know, I, I like kind of interweaving it because it is funny and it is. Teachers tell me they can use it in, uh, in if they're doing a program or staff development, and especially the ones I do um, that has that voice of that Mrs. Cole Smucker that I do. So one teacher can read the the good teacher, one teacher can read the evil teacher, and it makes a point, you know, about what what you should say and not say. Um, but no, that's interesting because nobody's ever talked to me about poetry before. Yeah, I find that part fascinating in the book. I always look forward to when I get done with the chapter reading, reading the next poem. That's awesome. I, do, I really do enjoy it. You have uh, folks come to your website. Have you ever thought about calling them maybe Debbie's Drum Corps? You know, doing a forum for, <gasps> for, for folks. That's an awesome idea. No, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. You heard it first here. <laughs> but now, Sean, you need to say, you know, I owe this all to Debbie Silver. Remember, I take total credit. And, I'll, I'll, no. I'll, go on, I'll go on record. <laughs> I, I love owe that. This all to I love that. You know, my logo used to be the nine dots that you can't connect without going outside the lines. And then uh, Mike Vance that used to work for Walt Disney kind of popularized that uh, in the, the late 70s, early 80s for the business community. So it almost became kind of trite. And I was doing it, you know, before people really knew what it was. I mean, it, it had always been there. But so I've kind of changed. And then with the drumming analogy and then Andy, my Andy stories about my stepson who's a percussionist, um, that's all kind of come into fruition. So I love that idea. Yeah. Would you be willing to read a poem for us? Yeah, I, I have a practice. A oh my gosh! Okay, guys, remember, and, and I'm not a good reader. As our as our audience, you know, will will know. 
we plan everything out ahead of time. <laughs> right. And then we change everything yes, as we, we go did. along. So. All right, well, got to find so one. So we did, we did not give... What's your favorite one, Todd? We did not give Dr. Silver uh, Debbie, an opportunity please. to practice this or, or even... Um, I'm just trying to find one. prepared for it. So we are putting her on the spot with this one. And, uh, you know what? We've got Tess here. I'm going to make Tess do this with me. Oh. Yeah. So can y'all give Tess so a we're mic? Gonna, we're going to have, we're gonna have uh, okay, an audience Tess member. Okay, on page uh, 102. Okay. So, so um, this is going to be our audience participation show. But Tess, you get to be the sweet teacher. Okay. And, um, so use that real sweet teacher, fakey voice. <laughs> I just love the children. And, 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 and you're going to read... Um, the one that's in regular print. Uh, no, I'm going to read the one that's in regular print because I'm going to be. Hey, you know what? They have this backwards. <laughs> okay, you read the regular print. Um, oh, I am so sorry, guys. I'm looking at this. This is a mistake. Okay, we need to fix it in post. Um, all right, Tess. <laughs> Okay, you're going to be really putting me in. You're going to you're going to be the inclusive teacher, and I'm going to be the exclusive teacher. You're going to be the teacher that includes kids. So you read the regular font, then I'll be the exclusive teacher, the opposite of you. Okay, so let's just we'll try it. All right, you read the first line. Am I am I still nice? You're nice. <laughs> you're the you're you, Tess. Okay, this is called a debate. A debate. That's right. Inclusive versus exclusive, and you're inclusive. I help them learn how they're smart. I test how slow they are. Oh, I like it if their ways depart. I just want, what is par? I try to differentiate. I give them all one task. My role is to accommodate. They ought to do what to ask. Effective teaching is my creed. We get through every text. I give them all the time they need. For learners have me vexed. I must address each learning style. I show them one right way. Exciting methods get a try. I don't have time to play. Alternative assessments, great. I only need one test. With students, I collaborate. Goal setting, I detest. Assignments are not uniform. We're all on the same page. My teaching methods show reform. I don't improve with age. I want to give them in the flow. I want to get them in the flow. I wish they understood. So they'll have fun with what they know. I teach them if I could. <laughs> so that's that one. <laughs> we wanted to put that little bit of hope at the end. <laughs> Not sure they all feel that way. Thanks, Tess. God, thank good. You. And thank you to our audience member, Tess. Yeah. <laughs> Who's, who's stepped up to the microphone, Boy, literally. Did. What a kid. You're going on the road with me. <laughs> no, you can't. I'm sorry. She's one of my teachers. You can't take her away. <laughs> I like her. I do, too. <laughs> um, if you could go back in time and give the first-year teacher, Debbie Silver, one piece of advice, what would that be? Listen more. Uh, listen to other teachers. Uh, listen to the kids. Listen to the voices of the parents. You know, I, when I started teaching, I was only 20, and I didn't have a degree, and that's a whole long story, but I was arrogant. I was full of myself. I was teaching first grade. <laughs> Another tragedy story. But, you know, I thought I knew it all. I had the teacher book. You know, so what did I need? I'm only teaching first grade. And I didn't, I, I was, I guess I was embarrassed to ask for help. I was thinking people would think less of me and I was so busy showing everybody what a great teacher I was that I didn't listen enough and I should have listened more 
and I finally did. But that first year, you know, I, I did okay. And I just want to go back and write letters of apology to all the kids. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, Dr. Boyd out of Eastern Michigan University, she talks about differentiation and incorporating it into the classroom. She, for the rookie teacher, she says, pick one thing right. to start with. Don't try everything all at once. That's exactly right. So if you were going, if you were back in that, that situation, what is something a rookie teacher, one thing they could try in their classroom to differentiate that well, not only they would see some success and, and start them on that path success with differentiation, but what strategy do you think that would help a, a rookie teacher? Variety. And the more that we can get into a variety of ways to both assess and instruct, I think that is just a natural step into differentiated instruction. And I also think most teachers kind of gravitate to that. A lot of our rookie teachers are so hamstrung by the standards. And a lot of times the people who give voice to rookie teachers are the very straight-laced, sequential, um, and retentive. But, you know, it's like you have to do it this way. It must be this way. And I think we need to encourage those teachers to far, start finding their own paths. Um, but if you're not a singer, uh, let the kids sing occasionally or play music for the kids. If you're uncomfortable, you know, making up a cheer to teach the organization of the human body, then let the kid come up with that. And this is, um, I totally agree, it can't be every time all the time. Uh, I don't even think... You know, vested teachers can do that. But what you can do is you can do something. And I love the idea of every once in a while saying to kids, okay, here are the things. These are the essential ideas. Now, let me give you some options about how you can show me what you learned. And then let those kids work together by choice. Do you want to make a PowerPoint presentation? Do you want to do a dramatic reenaction? Do you want to put this as a painted mural? Do you want to do it as um, an interview session? Let them make those choices. And what I have seen is those kids who are very undemonstrative, who are uh, not very vocal in the classroom, given the power of choice to show you in their way I've literally had the hairs on my arm stand up with what they have done. And I'm just, and you don't want to go, oh, my God, how did you do that? Because that means I thought you were an idiot. Uh, but you want to go. <laughs> but I literally have had tears in my eyes watching what kids have come up with. And you don't want to go overboard and crazy because that scares them. You know, oh, my God, down there, got expected all the time. But we need to give voice to go, Wow. Look at you. When you're able to choose your path, your your way, look what you can do. That is, that's incredible. And they need to show that to their peers. Their peers need to see what's there, too. So I would say that occasionally, not every time all the time, but come in and you take a risk and show the kids. Like, I would sing, and that would be a tremendous risk. But also, you let those kids... And you encourage them. And, you know, even when they're going, I don't want to be in a group. I hate being in a group. And a lot of our kids who are very intrapersonally aware or our kids who are introverts, you know, they'll tell you that. I don't want to be in a group. And I think we all need to learn these words, especially rookie teachers. The magic words, for now. You're going to be in a group for now. Not forever. Not the rest of the year. This is not an indictment. You're going to be in a group for now. But you know what? You're going to have an opportunity to work independently in X number of days or next period or whatever it's going to be. And I think most kids can deal with almost anything if you will couch it with the words, okay, this is just for now. You know, we're going to do it another way. So that's it. You've uh, addressed this a little bit today, but... Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed with your last presentation was that you talked about why kids don't try. Yes. Um, what are some of the keys that say students aren't trying and some of the strategies teachers can use to 
flip that on the head and make them? Well, a lot of kids don't try because they've got learned helplessness, which, you know, we got from sociology that kids are, and this can come from their family, it can come from a community. In fact, we have cultures that have this embedded, um, our people don't do so well, our people are not capable. I know when I work in Canada with First Nation, uh, they say that this is kind of an embedded cultural thing, that because of their history, a lot of the First Nation, and that's what we call Native Americans uh, in, in, in our country, but the kids, they kind of, it's, it's an internalized concept. And so they hear this covertly and um, also, um, what's the opposite of covertly? Overtly, thank you, uh, from everybody. <laughs> a little break freeze. Um, but it's, it's a thing that they absolutely manifest in all things. You know, well, I'm First Nation. That's your excuse. And I think we have cultures here in the United States that manifest that. I think we have families. I think we have socioeconomic groups. And so you have to look at that for what it is. And when a kid says, you know, I'm no good at math. I can't do this. Uh, I, I usually say to a kid, especially when they do, they'll say, oh, God, you know, I, I just figured this out. Everybody already knew it. And my answer to that is always, well, you know what? You probably never had a reason to know that before. But now you have a reason to know, so you know. And you'll know it from now on. But I think we have to give kids permission to let go of that. But they're not going to do it um, easily. You know, it's so much easier to cop out. I can't. It's too hard. I won't. So what we have to do, and it goes back to Vygotsky, this is DI. This is the heart of DI. We have to know where those kids are and not where we wish they were. Not where their teacher last year said they were or where the state says they need to be. But we as teachers need to carefully evaluate where are they, really, where are they. And then that's why you differentiate and tier an assignment. Because we're all moving toward the same essential ideas. But you don't want to hold these kids back over here till they learn the fundamentals. And, you know, you're over here doing cool stuff that's authentic and challenging and punishing those kids going, well, you didn't deserve a chance to come do cool stuff because you didn't master your times tables. You know, that's, that's idiotic. What you say is... You, you give them a level of support, and you say, okay, you're still working on that. And hopefully, you know, you're going to get – I'm going to be with you. We're going to, you know, come back to that. But for now, bring your calculator over here and enter this discussion with the rest of us. Do not lose ground. That's called remediation. And remediation to me means more of the same, and I, I hate it. I think we ought to wipe that word out. I think it needs to be level of support. So what can we do? And if we have to color code it, if we have to add pictures, if we have to simplify – Whatever, but the expectation, the overall idea, and Jay McTighe, Grant Wiggins talk about this in Understanding by Design. Uh, Carolyn Thompson has written with Jay McTighe, and they both talk about um, Understanding by Design through differentiated instructions. So the same thing. You don't compromise on the goals. You don't compromise on the essential ideas. But we've got to give those kids different ways to approach that so that they have a reasonable chance at success. That's the bottom line. And that actually fits in with my next question, which, um, and Sean can confirm this says right here, <laughs> you said that every student deserves a reasonable level of success. <laughs> I was going to say, they're going to think we actually... <laughs> I'm holding a few cards. Ask me this. <laughs> Um, what does this mean for the teacher in the classroom? It means that you don't take um, a 
chapter 14 and assign it unilaterally to an 8th grade student uh, body. When you're looking at your cards, and I hope you have cards on every student that says this is their reading level as I know it to be because I've put them on alexile.com or whatever on the, and found it on the internet or talked with a teacher I trust. I'm looking at a card that says this is what I know about a reasonable expectation of adult supervision when they get home at night before I assign a homework assignment. I mean, I've got kids all that are taking care of younger siblings when they get home. So they don't have the opportunity to do it. You know, when you're going, well, you chose not to do it. No, I couldn't do it. No, you chose not to do it. Get real. So I'm looking at these, these cards and I'm, if I, and this is what I think gets it real. And when I tell teachers, they go, well, Deb, what would be the first step? I said, you make out a card for every student you teach. And you, that needs to be, and you figure it out, what you guys want. But I want to know their level of English proficiency. At what grade level are they communicating well with ease? I want to know their reading level. And I'm talking about fluency and comprehension because those are not the same. In fact, sometimes they're, they're opposite. Um, I want to know a lot of things. Okay, so I'm looking at these cards, right? And I'm the eighth grade teacher, and my traditional assignment was read the first half of chapter 14 and answer these four questions. But I'm, guys, it's staring me in the face, and y'all know, if I'm teaching in eighth grade, do you think we might have some kids that are reading at the second grade level? Do you think I might have some kids that are reading at the college level? Then how reasonable is that for me to give a unilateral assignment, everybody's going to read 21 pages, answer the same four questions at the same level of complexity in the same time frame. I think looking at those cards is going to force me to say, this is not reasonable. I'm going to have to, in some way, maybe make a podcast of me reading this out loud so that those kids that are do not have those reading skills can at least hear an adult or a gifted reader reading at the same time they're looking at it. Maybe I've broken it down. Maybe I've uh, taken the complexity level and put it down to a level where I know those kids, they have to stretch a little bit. I'm not talking about dumbing down. Because that's the worst thing. You know, that's the other end. Well, let's dumb down the standard. So everybody does, good job, good job. Idiots. They know that you've done that. We know they've done that. So you've just built in the learned helplessness. It's like what I did with Vince and Tess. You know, so what you do is you say, you know, I really think this could stretch you. Now, they're going to opt. When you start tearing, well, why can't I do it? But Vince is doing it. But it's got to be a mindset. And that's what. DI is a mindset. It's not a strategy. It's not a tool. It's a mindset. But I would talk with Vince and go, you know, Vince, um, I really, really think you could do this. And I'm going to, you know, let me get you started, but I'm going to be his support advocate, giving him feedback like coaches do. You know, just just raise the bar, raise the bar. And I'm not going to give him stars and I'm not going to give him stickers because he doesn't need that. He needs me to pay attention. He needs to look at that and go, da, 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 look what I did. Because I think there's a carryover effect. But if Vince does say, well, I think I want, you know, with the easier assignment, I'll say, you know what, give this a try. And then if this really isn't working out, we'll talk together. And seriously, if you really think it's too much, then we'll look at this again. But let's do this for now. But let me just say this. The other thing is, and this comes from Carol Dweck's uh, research, the kid that comes up and goes, done it first, did the best, instead of going, God, that's so great. We need to say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You didn't even get a chance to learn anything today. Forgive me. Let's go find something that will be uh, give you a chance to stretch and grow. And I'm serious about that. We need to build it. But that's going to have to come from the teacher embedding a mindset, diminishing the competition, you know, really focusing on growth mindset, not 
not who's the best, who's the first. It's really got to be more individual. Does that answer your question? Yes. More than you wanted. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, we really appreciate the time that you've taken to spend with us. With the spend. Oh, my God. Spend. Here I go again. Well, spend did, with did us. Did you have a question? Does, does, we have I thought you did. Any audience, audience questions today? No? No? Okay. <laughs> the, the silent majority in the audience. Um, yes, Will. So, okay. Um, we do have an audience audience question. Can you address how do you, how do, you do all of this when you have... 120 kids. Yeah, that's it. You know, the thing is, and, I, and by stress management, I'm talking some about finding balance. And I have five, five sons at one point. You know, I have three, and then I inherited two more. But um, it is a really tricky thing. And I think the least selfish thing a teacher can do is take care of himself or herself. And we don't have that mindset because we're nurturers and we're caretakers. And it's, I think we spread ourselves so thin that we're not doing a good job at as we could at anything, being a parent, being a sister, brother, daughter, teacher. I think you have to set some priorities. And it kind of goes back to what Troy was saying. You cannot do it all at once. So you set a reasonable goal. And I think we need to stretch ourselves. One of the activities that I wrote for um, uh, Because You Teach with Monty and, and the others is my best vision of myself. And all I'm asking teachers to do is you write a letter to yourself and you say, this is how I see myself at my personal best. You know, on your best day, your best prepared, how, how does it go? And that's probably not what happens every single day. So take some part of that that's reasonable that you could grow towards during the next three months. And then, and this is, you know, visualizing and all the goal determination, all the things you know about. But put some steps down that you, you're comfortable really stretching yourself to do for three months that you would be comfortable. And what do you think w will happen as a result of that? And where do you think you'll be that's different in three months? They seal it in an envelope and they give it to their administrator or anybody, the counselor, because it's never opened. But in three months, you have a faculty meeting, and maybe you play some of Monty's music, or you're talking about, you know, who's got that vision, which is the song that Monty sings. And you pass back the, the letters, and you let everybody open their own, and then revisit that. And they're free to share that with their group, their small group discussion, or not share. But it is a very reflective activity, because, see, I think teachers, we need a chance to grow and stretch. We don't need people hammering us all the time. We don't need people coming in, you know, from Mount Sinai with the briefcase and telling us, well, these are the four things. And, you know, we just need a chance because it's in us. We just need a chance to share that and encourage each other. And, and you know, when you've got a friend that's going, you know, I really saw you step outside yourself today. You're just kind of like the kids. Da, 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 and it makes a difference. You're welcome. Terrific. Where can people go to find more information about you? Well, I have a website, www.debbysilver.com. Well, we knew that was coming, but I don't sell anything on my website because that's just not my thing. But I do have links, so if you want to buy Monty Silver's, not Monty Silver, Monty Selby's, I wish, Monty Selby's, no, no, I'm like, I'm sorry, no. sorry, Lawrence. Lawrence is my next ex-husband. But anyway, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, we're happily married. Uh, 
Um, but I do introduce him that way to keep him on his toes. <laughs> but um, Monty, just such an awesome colleague and wonderful dad of, of five. Uh, Monty's absolutely uh, an amazing guy, and his website is, like, connected to mine. I've got a lot of books that I recommend, and uh, after any of the day, I'm going to be putting some more that I've discovered here. Um, I've got places where you can buy my book, but you can email me just from my website. And I've got a login password, and it is, I am a teacher, written as one word, uh, lowercase, no spaces. Now, if that's hard to, to hear, email me, and I'll give it to you. But that'll let you go in to my my. Um, my handout page, and you can download anything I've got on there because I believe in sharing, you know, the things I've been gifted to learn and get from teachers. I want to give it to other people. So you're welcome to go in there and take anything you want, use it, you know, enjoy it, just pass it on. But I do answer all my email. Just please don't start your email like this. Debbie, I'm sorry to bother you, but <laughs> you're not bothering me. This is my joy. Now, I am a little random, and sometimes I get behind, but um, I will answer you. And if I don't know your, the answer to your question, um, I'll make something up. <laughs> we appreciate that. Okay. Um, one final question. Do you think Jack Berkemeyer should be buying uh, Sean and I Kindles? I do. Okay. I absolutely do. <laughs> Jack Berkemeyer needs help. He needs help. <laughs> he is... Um, yeah, anytime you get a chance to talk with Jack, that is, he is my, he is my hero as a speaker. I've, I've never seen a speaker as effective as Jack Bartmeyer. He really is the best in my opinion. He's awesome. Um, we really do appreciate the time. I know you've got to run off to do the presentations, but again, we really appreciate the time you've taken with us. And we hope everyone will checks out, check out uh, Dr. Silver's website. And of course, we hope that you check out Middle School Matters. Yes. And, um, Post us a comment, and I think we're going to start a contest for for um, we're going to give away an iPod. <gasps> two second year, so we're giving away two iPods. So if you're interested in an iPod, go to middleschoolmatters.com and post a comment. You can post it to uh, on, on this show or any of the previous shows. And I think that for for now, this has been Middle School Matters for middle school educators who care. Wow! Oh, you guys are so awesome!